Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Eric Corum, founder of AIM7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting-edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. Today, I'm joined by Coach Michael Boyle. Coach Boyle is a legend in the field of strength conditioning. He's served as the head strength conditioning coach for the Boston Bruins, U.S. Women's Olympic ice hockey team, and the world champion Boston Red Sox. And today we discuss power training as you age and why this is so critical. You see, research demonstrates that you lose power at about one and a half times the rate that you lose strength. And power training is going to be something that's going to help keep you ambulatory as you age. So Coach Boyle discusses his three-prong approach for practical power development. This includes body weight jumps, light implement throws, and what he calls heavy implement training. And this is a really practical episode. I think everybody's going to get something out of. It's something that you can apply if you're 35 or if you're at 60. It's um, something that everybody needs to be doing. Again, I want to apologize for my audio on this series with Coach Boyle. This is the last time you'll have to deal with this. As we've switched recording platforms, we're not having this issue anymore. So now let's lean in and learn from the best. Coach, uh, recently I put out a tweet about power training throughout the lifespan. There's a lot of literature that talks about, you know, how important it is to maintain strength in muscle mass. We know that's related to longevity. There is some literature on power. It's, it's what, it's what you lose first before strength. What are some ideas that you have around how we can continue to train for power as we get older without putting ourselves at risk for an orthopedic injury? Well, it's interesting that if you look at the research, at least the research that I saw, which is actually fairly old, it says that we're losing power at one and a half times the rate that we lose strength. And that doesn't seem like a big deal. But if you think that you lost 10% of your strength across a decade and you lost 15% of your power, you'd say, okay, not a big deal. But if you cross that over three decades, You've lost a third of your strength and nearly 50% of your power. You're at 45% of your power output. So let's, you know, your 30-inch vertical jump is down to 15 at that point in time or or 16. Whereas your strength, maybe your 300 bench is down to 200. And that doesn't seem nearly as bad. So this is a really big issue. I think the biggest thing with power, again, we always go back to our strength and conditioning coach mind. And we think, okay, power you know, plyometrics, Olympic lifts. And it's like, eh, yeah, I guess. And I was, we were talking about this on Twitter yesterday. We look at power as kind of a three-pronged approach. One is body weight power. So jumping. We want our adult clients jumping. We don't want high rep box jumps. We don't want high box jumps. I have no problem if people are jumping onto 12-inch boxes. We also, because of the functional aspect, we want them from a power production standpoint, we want them to jump which is two legs to two legs. We want them to hop, which is one leg to one leg. And we want them to bound, which is right leg to left leg. So effectively, we're saying we want a bilateral version of power, a bilateral expression. We want a unilateral expression of power in the frontal plane. And we want a unilateral expression of power in the transverse plane. Then we look at what we would call light implement power. We want to throw medicine balls. So we look at medicine balls and we get three three patterns for medicine balls. We want an upper push. So we want like a wall chest pass. We're big on using our med ball wall. We want a rotational power. So we want some sort of rotational throw, you know, what we would call a, a side toss. But, you know, effectively that kind of batting action, batting, striking type of action. And then we want some sort of anterior core power. 
So we're looking at some sort of med ball slam. So something kind of overhead down into the ground. So now if we look at jumping, you know, body weight power, we're getting hip and knee extension power. And then if we look at those three upper body patterns with med balls, we've really controlled rotation. We've controlled, um, you know, upper arm extension. We've controlled the, the anterior core aspect of that. And then maybe then we can look at what we would call heavy implement power for us from a heavy implement power perspective, we might, the heaviest thing we might do with our adults are kettlebell swings. We don't Olympic lift at all. I always say adults make bad Olympic lifters. And my <laughs> standard rationale for this with people, I call, I wrote an article called the airport screening test, right? And you travel every time you go to the airport, I say to everybody, watch people go through airport screening and tell me how many people do you see who go ahead of you who do a good job of getting their arms up over their head? Oh, not many. The answer is probably close to zero. You're probably not going to look at one person and say, wow, look at the shoulder flexion on that person. That's perfect. <laughs> Arms up overhead, you know, body, you know, like ribs stacked over pelvis. No. So, you know, we don't, I don't think this, the water that's gone under the bridge by the time you're 40 says Olympic lifting's a no-no. I think that's one of the huge failings of CrossFit in terms of going after that older population was trying to make adults who have mobility issues into Olympic weightlifters or variations of Olympic weightlifting. So we're going to probably stay light implement like kettlebell swings, jumps, medicine balls, but we train power every day, every workout. We think it's an absolute necessity. I'm with you coach. And I think it's like the way that you're doing this, first of all, the jumping piece is really important. How many people do you hear about that? Like, go, Oh, I decided to play pickup basketball and torn Achilles, or I stepped off something and tore my Achilles or, you know what I'm saying? And with that oh, yeah. light jumping, you're, you're taking care of some of that right there. The rotational components of power throwing, you can use a light implement. It can be five pounds. Yourself yeah. We, we rarely go our, our standard heaviest med ball is an eight. And we have okay. eight, six, and four. We, we don't usually use anything beyond an eight. It will be rare. Like if you're using a 10 or 12, you've you got one of your football guys. You know, you got a good-sized guy who's mm. slamming, a, you know, a 10 or a 12-pound ball and who's rotationally throwing a 10 or 12-pound ball. Most people, I would say, our average is probably a six. And it's interesting wow. with medicine balls. We use exclusively the soft toss non or low-bounce med balls because we realize – for a long time, people were talking about sort of the elastic idea of throwing med balls. And I, I bought into that just because I didn't think about it enough. And then I realized that power expression generally is singular. You hit a baseball once. You shoot a slap shot once. You hit the tennis ball once. And then you're getting ready to do it again. But you're not doing it multiple responses. So we realized that the low bounce balls caused us to really produce the concentric kind of force that we wanted to try to make that ball come off the wall a little bit. Yeah. Also you have to be able to catch that ball. And if you don't, you're going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. Especially you're again, the adult population, we broke some fingers. Trust me back in the early days, I would, <laughs> I would say we broke three to four to five fingers with medicine ball throws, which were things that, and we've luckily we haven't knocked any teeth out, but we've cracked a few. Because yeah, people I'm, slamming the high bounce balls and getting them if, right in the if face. If you're listening right. to this, go watch some videos online before you implement this because you're going to want to be able to get away from a wall. Yeah. You don't you're going to want to know what the low, the low bounce ball will not bounce back and hit you in the face. <laughs> yeah. 
And we then, actually went so do... far. We threw all of ours out. We took all the ones out of the gym that were capable of coming up and hitting you because we had one of our baseball guys just grab the wrong ball one time and, and just smash it into his own oh. face. I mean, crazy in terms of how how bad it was. Luckily, I mean, there was not any really significant damage done, but huh. it wasn't fun to watch. <laughs> you don't do any type of like power, like pulls from the floor from the trap bar? Um, not not with our adults, no. Okay. We do, like, I love trap bar jumps for our athlete population, but I just feel like, I feel like there's a line from a power development perspective that I don't want to cross. And we don't even really, like most of our adults never touch a barbell, the vast majority in terms of they wouldn't, like you said, you trap our deadlift. Most of our adults aren't going to trap our deadlift. Small percentage will. We feel like once they get beyond kettlebell deadlift with the heaviest kettlebell, then we're probably going to be primarily unilateral. Same thing. You know, we might do some goblet squat. So we'll do a little, we'll do some bilateral training to kind of bring that, that low base bilateral level up, mm-hmm. but then we don't. We don't pursue it very far after that at all. I mean, I've been training for 30-something years, so I kind of know what I can do and have lots of reps underneath me, but the average person doesn't. And so it's that, you know, how can we hit these things like power or strength training without with minimal orthopedic cost? And like you said, am I waking up tomorrow morning? Am I feeling better over weeks, compounded months over months? And the other thing, this is just that aside, but it's a, an accurate aside, is power is anything that's faster than the rate at which you normally move. Mm-hmm. So I think for our adults, some, you know, agility ladder, some of our agility ladder exercises are power exercises. So if we do like, people recognize it as Icky Shuffle. I hate that, I hate that name. Like, <laughs> I, you know, because people are like, I have no idea. What was Icky about it? You know, and you're like, oh, never mind. Yeah. He was a person, not a thing, <laughs> you know. And so, you know, we would call it a one-two stick. You know, so and and for us, you know, we're not going to do that fast shuffle. We're going to go like two in, one out, and we're going to have them really land and stabilize on that leg outside of the ladder. And to me, that's a power exercise for an adult. And it's very much like you allude to fall prevention. I heard a stat the other day on another podcast because I've been listening to a little more of these kind of adult wellness podcasts. And mm-hmm. the stat said that if you break your hip after age 60, you have a 65% chance of being dead in five years. Golly. Now, that sounds crazy, except that you realize that someone who falls and breaks their hip at 60 is probably osteoporotic to begin with, probably has a lot of underlying orthopedic issues to start with, and then that that broken hip is just the straw that breaks the camel's back. But people don't tend to come back from these things. There, There does... Well, I don't think there's a point of no return, but I think there's a point that people can get pretty close to in terms of it's going to be difficult to turn it around to be able to say, okay, Eric, I can still save you. If you came to me at 65 and said, Mike, I haven't worked out in 40 years, it would be like, okay, we got a lot of work to do. And a lot of it's going to be basic mobility, warm up, balance. I'm not going to care. You know, you might say, oh, I used to bench 300. I'm going to be like, hey, whatever. Great. Glad to hear it. Yeah. You know, if, if you can. <laughs> If you can handle the 50 pound dumbbells in a month, I'll be thrilled. So if I could sum this up, I would, I would say, Hey, as we're aging, and this is for anybody that's, I would say anybody that's past their college playing days or anything, maintaining strength, maintaining power into your program, maintain, we've talked about mobility and not wanting to become like, you know, delaying the move to beef jerky and trying to stay more like that filet mignon. 
but it's really important that we keep these threads in our exercise program because it truly does impact longevity and the quality of our life. Oh, it becomes more and more important because again, we see way too many people in the gym training like it's 1999, you know, to, to quote Prince, you know, you look at some of these people and you think, what are you doing? You're, you're doing the workout that you did in high school and you start to realize all of these, the other things, the warm up, the mobility, the stretching, the rolling, the power work, all the stuff that you took for granted when you were that beautiful filet mignon now become really critical as you start to move into that beef jerky stage of life. That's why I, I think for us, that's one of the reasons our adult program is succeeding at the level that it's succeeding. We, we sign up new adults every week. We don't advertise at all. We don't make any attempt to pursue adult clients. And I would say we average a couple of weeks who just walk in or friends bring them in mm-hmm. and sign them up because friends, I just was talking to one of our clients who's 80. If I could get her on screen and you'd be like, she's not 80. I'm like, she just did 12 pushups. She just got up off the floor like a kid. Oh yeah. She's 80. She looks like she's 50, but we have tons of those people roaming around here. And it's because we approach training with a really intelligent lens in terms of, as you said, looking, there's all these threads that need to be woven into the right fabric. And it's not strength is if you said to me, Right now, honestly, if I if I stacked everything up, I would tell you strength was last on the list. I would tell you cardiovascular mm-hmm. fitness is more important because cardiovascular fitness tends to correlate higher to all-cause mortality. So that's probably a more important. Mobility probably is going to be more important. Um, power is probably going to be more important. All the other things that we're doing are going to be more important. Not that the strength work isn't important, but if I was if someone said put them in order, mm-hmm. I'd probably have to put strength last. Wow. And if you looked at most people and said, what's their distribution of training time look like? I would think you'd probably see almost no intense cardiovascular work at all, zero. Lots mm-hmm. of walking, which again, I'm not anti-walking, but I don't think they're, the correlates are, are much more towards like VO, VO2 max than they are towards minutes spent moving. Oh, there was a paper that was just done that it's not just the walking, it's the pace of walking. Like you have to move. Like brisk walking is better. And my dad actually said this to me, which was pretty cool. But no, I'm with you. There there has to be some intensity to the aerobic exercise in order to have the cardiovascular, central and peripheral adaptations that we're seeing. I listened to, I was, um, Peter Tier is one of the guys I listened to. And then I listened to Andy Galpin on another podcast. And Andy Galpin was saying, he thinks you should try to hit your max heart rate once a week. Right. And and I thought that was a really good recommendation. I think it's a little scary recommendation for people, but I know I try to do it. I try to, at once a week, I want to get the motor up. Like I'm going to get, I'm going to surpass 90% without a doubt. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get up to, you know, 170, 171. And, and I also think until you've done this type of stuff, you don't know what your max heart rate is. The 220, you know, again, we could talk mythology too forever, but the 220 <laughs> is incredibly inaccurate. We see it all the time with our older clients exceeding. So let me think, I'm, if I'm 60, 220, my max should be 160, 100%. It should be 160. Mm-hmm. And I routinely am riding the bike at 160. And right. I, I've been in the last calendar year, I've been 180 at least once. So I'm a full 40 beats a minute above, um, or 20 beats a minute rather, above what my recommended maximum heart rate would be. And I think I think, again, what you look at when you think maximum heart rate, and sorry, I realized I segued into something different, but you you see the kind of supposition based on this old formula that was never very accurate to begin with, but people start to adopt it. And then they think, oh, I'll get into 100 beats a minute is cardiovascular. And you're like, 
Probably not. Mm-hmm. You know, you're probably going to have to to be, like you said, brisk walking. That's why I'm a huge um, fan bike, whether it's, you know, Air Dinosaur, Echo, whatever you want to ride. Oh, I don't run ever. I, I love sprinting, like short, like 10 yards or whatever, but that's kind of come down in my life. <laughs> but I love, like I did a 50-minute bike ride today. Um, really careful where I ride, but like, to me, it's easier on my joints. I can set up the bike in a way that feels good and I can go for a while. Right. And I can get my heart rate up and, and my, my, my joints don't feel bad. And I think it's a underutilized tool and you can go somewhere. You don't have to do it. You don't have to be stuck on a Peloton in your house. You can actually get out and move around. But if you don't have the option to get out, you're in a big city. Biking's phenomenal. It's easy to get your heart rate, especially with an assault bike. Yeah, it's, I mean the big the big dual action bikes because the the arms bump it up about ten percent. We've realized ten to twenty percent uh, are going to come from that arm action, and we've become huge fans. We probably own I don't even know. We have at least twenty, if not more. Between two well, when you uh, when really you got to get rid of some, let, let your friend know here. I'll buy one okay. off you. All right, I'll let you know the next time we when we upgrade, we sell them off to the members for uh, we kind uh, of I'll, every. Can I be an years. honorary of? Honorary uh, member. Uh, honorary member here in Texas. All right. I really appreciate having you on today. This is phenomenal. Thanks again for listening to the Blueprint Podcast. And if you want to support the show, please leave a comment and review on the Apple Podcast platform as this will help us reach more people with the amazing message of the Blueprint. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode.